Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Welcome back to another episode of CCT Live, uh, the Cape Cod Times Live Facebook news broadcast brought to you every Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy. I'm with reporter Christine Legere. Uh, Christine covers the town of Falmouth, Joint Base Cape Cod, the Woods Hole Science Community, Marijuana, and Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station, among other things, really. What, what is it that you don't cover, Christine? I, I, guess is the bigger question. Uh, we'll talk about Pilgrim, uh, which had another unplanned shutdown uh, this past weekend, actually last Friday, I believe. Um, the latest on uh, the Vineyard Wind Offshore Wind Energy Project and a Provincetown man facing charges for a scam who may have been a victim of a, of a scam himself. We'll then talk about the reaction to plans uh, for a new steamship authority terminal in Woods Hole, a story you wrote, Christine, and take a look ahead at another story you're working on in connection with recent problems with natural gas. Um, you folks at home can take Take a look back at our past episodes and follow along at home by going to our website, capecottimes.com, and checking us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know the rest. Um, Pilgrim, Christine, uh, this has been a plant uh, 40 plus years old, shutting down soon, but shutting down, you know, by accident, basically, before then uh, quite a few times. What, what's the latest on what happened here? And you have a story about uh, the costs, which you've been uh, analyzing as well. Yes. <clears throat> Pilgrim is now in, well, it's been closed for 60 days this year, which is about 20% of the year. Uh, and each of those days is about $1.1 in gross revenue. So they are losing a lot of money this year. It's not been a good year. This time it was a valve system. In it, uh, The valve closes and water can't get into the reactor, which would then automatically shut the entire reactor down. This has been a chronic problem for them since about 1975, so it isn't a matter of a worn out part or um, lack of maintenance. It's kind of like this has just been an ongoing problem for 40 years for them. And and the uh, million dollars a day, that's gross revenue. You know, they pay their bills. It's, they, may, they would be making, if it was up and running, either, I think you have in the story, 90% power or higher, yeah. they'd be making uh, about $570,000 a day. Right. Um, these are numbers that didn't come directly from the company, but one ones that you've kind of teased out based on other other uh, sources, right? Yes, talking to people in the industry that um, they looked at Pilgrim back in 1960, um, uh, 2016 when mm -hmm. it was running at 90% power for this length of time. They calculated it out. It was about $1.1 million for the gross revenue. And for the net, it was about 568000 once they paid all their bills. So that still comes out to about $32 million right now. Actually, more as the days tick by, it is closed again today. It's, it's pretty amazing. And you can see how when it's operating, they're making good money. Um, but as we talked about and we've, you've reported and we've talked about quite extensively, they're closing down next year. And the reason they're closing down is really because of money, right? Yeah, in 2015, they said that uh, they announced that Pilgrim would be closing, and they said that it was losing about $30 million a year. So one can only imagine this year yeah. if that's just their 
average loss. Yep. They're already, uh, if you look at the 32 million, they're already above that and, and looking oh, yeah, at it several way. more months and still shut down. Um, and the plant's been operating in what's called category four. This is one step away from just being told to shut down completely. Um, and they're the worst operating plant in the country. Is that true? right now? There were two others, both again, energy owned, just like Pilgrim. Uh, the Arkansas plants that had been in Category 4, but they actually worked themselves out of it. Pilgrim now is the worst plant out of the 98 plant fleet in the country. And and why are these valves important? Why is this feed water system that, as you said, uh, has been having problems since the get-go, since 1975? So even though some activists point to and say it's an old plant, and they, they pointed to that in other instances and saying it's old, that's one of the reasons they're worried about it continuing to operate this has been a problem from the, the get-go. What do these valves do? What, what are they for in, in layman's terms, if you will? I know you yeah, could talk the, almost nuclear physics with us if you wanted to, <laughs> Christine. The, the water going into the reactor is turned into, it's heated, turned into steam, goes into the turbine spins and uh, becomes electricity. That water level can't fall too low or the reactor is going to overheat and malfunction. So this was a shutdown that had nothing to do with the operator saying, quick, hit the off button. It was automatic. When this happens, it's programmed to just shut it down. This is what's called the scram, <clears throat> which is an acronym they call it for a something, scram. I believe. <clears throat> um, and and obviously, Entergy, uh, you reached out to them. They said nobody was ever in danger, that the system operated the way it was supposed to operate, that this automatic shutdown is what's supposed to happen in this case to prevent, again, that that larger problem. But uh, again, as everybody always points out, kind of these continuing problems and kind of building on themselves could be a real concern if, if things didn't operate properly, which in some cases they haven't. Exactly. Um, well, let's move on here um, to another energy project. Um, and uh, this this feels a little like deja vu for me as I'm talking about it. Uh, the uh, Cape Wind, if everybody will remember, uh, energy project was uh, uh, slated to be in Nantucket Sound and come ashore in West Yarmouth. Cape Wind, uh, uh, kind of the idea or the concept for 16 years or whatever it was, and then and then finally failed uh, to get the power contracts they needed. And so the federal government went forward with uh, permitting other offshore wind projects further off the coast. A little less controversy there, but the actual place where they come ashore has continued to become uh, uh, something of uh, that locals are a little worried about. And in this case, Vineyard Wind uh, was slated to come ashore in West Yarmouth, um, which is the same place through Lewis Bay, right down the street from where we are here, uh, that Cape Wind was expected to come ashore. Um, people in Yarmouth were not that uh, thrilled with this. Uh, there were shell fishermen who were upset, uh, town officials um, who were worried and wanted to make sure that they got enough money to really analyze this project properly. There was a lot of back and forth with Yarmouth. The alternative site was in the other direction, Covell Beach uh, over in Centerville in the town of Barnstable. And that was getting a little less attention because it was considered not the preferred site by the developer of Vineyard Wind, who just as a basis wants to build 106 turbines, I think, to start with uh, south of Martha's Vineyard, uh, uh, quite a bit further offshore than Cape Wind would have been. Um, in any case, things changed last week. 
Barnstable uh, signed a, a what's called a host community agreement. This reminds me of some of the agreements you've written about for marijuana uh, facilities. This kind of host community agreement. These agreements are between towns and and entities that are trying to do something, whether it's a marijuana uh, facility or or coming ashore with a uh, energy uh, line, a cable. This cable would have carried eight hundred meg- would carry eight hundred megawatts of of electricity from the wind farm. And last week, again, Barnstable and Vineyard Wind announced that they'd be entering this agreement, which was actually a pretty good amount of money for Barnstable in any case, $16 million for the first phase. If Vineyard Wind expands, potentially another $16 million. That's almost as much as uh, Entergy has lost this year, $32 million that uh, Barnstable would have gotten, including about a million dollars, I think, in uh, tax uh, revenue each year. Um, So that announcement came out. Some people in Yarmouth breathing a sigh of relief. Maybe there were others, and we don't know yet, who were you know, kind of looking at that money and saying that could have been theirs. Yarmouth feels like it's kind of the alternative uh, route, and now Covell Beach is the preferred route. And this was a little bit reinforced. Uh, the head of the Division of Marine Fisheries uh, sent a letter last week that uh, reporter Kristen Young uh, got a hold of to the Executive Office of Energy and Environmental Affairs Secretary Matthew Beaton, essentially saying that the Covell Beach uh, location was a better location for environmental resources than the uh, uh, West Yarmouth location. And the concerns uh, were kind of multifold about the West Yarmouth location. I know there's been uh, talk about eelgrass in both locations, but um, in particular, you know, the shell fishing that takes place there, some other fish habitat, uh, winter flounder shellfish spawning. Um, and so essentially this letter seems to bolster the idea that uh, the location in Centerville may be the preferred location. Energy uh, uh, Facilities Siting Board uh, is the, are the ones who will essentially make this decision. Beaton is the chairman of that board. I think he largely is, uh, it's a titular chairmanship that he holds there. He kind of uh, isn't, I don't think, there for most of the meetings. Um, but the Energy Facilities Siting Board, they kind of weigh uh, costs, they weigh environmental concerns um, and uh, reliability in terms of deciding on energy projects for the state. They've started a hearing, and they started it last week. I think Yarmouth officials are there today in Boston uh, expressing uh, any concerns they may have about the potential for it coming ashore in Yarmouth, and and we'll see where that goes. They could still choose the Yarmouth site. They could choose the uh, Covell Beach, uh, Centerville, Barnstable site, um, uh, but at this point, it seems like things are leaning towards Barnstable, and Barnstable could use that money, actually, for some uh, moving some wells that they're concerned about, which would be downgradient, not to get too detailed here, but downgradient of where the substation, where this energy line would connect into the electric grid would be. They've had some concerns with those wells previously, and they, they seem to be looking at this as an opportunity to use this money for that purpose. Um, so we'll keep following that along and and uh, um, see where the Energy Facility Siting Board lands. I think they have an, uh, an April kind of timeline for when they'd, they'd make their decision. Uh, certainly there will be continue, continue to be stories on that front. Um, interesting cases really out of Provincetown, uh, Christine. This has to do with the scam. I feel like we've all heard about this scam. If you can explain the the basics here and, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. Provincetown man in criminal and civil trouble, it looks like. Uh, <clears throat> yes, Carrie Adams, uh, who works for an insurance company out there, um, fell, maybe fell victim to a scam. That's his take on it at the moment, his contention that uh, he would be in line for a large inheritance if he paid certain fees. 
and the lawyer, I believe, was somebody over in Great Britain that he'd been dealing with. That's what he was told in any case. And yes. there's a question as to whether this lawyer even exists, really. Um, have you ever had one of these scams sent to you in an email? Or oh, anything? yes. And you write back right away and say, how can I, can I send you the money? I mean, it's, it is one of those that we all seem to hear about. You, you, I have $10 million and I'm trying to find the, uh, the benefactor. If you just send me uh, several thousand dollars, you could, you could take this money and we could work together. Sounds familiar. Yeah, t totally. Um, so he was charged in, in, in criminal court, right? He was. He's he's uh, facing the charges still in criminal yep. court. Um, he borrowed money, in fact, from one restaurateur out there in uh, Provincetown. He borrowed nearly nearly a hundred thousand dollars as he was trying to pay to get this inheritance. In the end, and and so there was that. That was the restaurateur who took him to civil court. Court. They reached an agreement or there was an agreement that he would pay back that, that $98,000 is what I think it totaled. In the meantime, again, he's in criminal court for borrowing, uh, borrowing $30,000, uh, from another friend client. Um, and you know, the allegations from police are that they actually went to him and said, you're being scammed. Do, you know, basically don't do this. You're being scammed. And he kept going forward and asking friends and clients for money. And the way the police look at that is we told them it was a scam. And therefore him doing that really amounts to larceny. The restaurateur who uh, reporter Ethan uh, Genter spoke to said he's not sure if Adams was in on the scam or whether he was uh, part of it. Adams declined to comment uh, specifically. He said there's he did. He did tell Ethan there's more to the story and more of it will come out uh, in the future. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, but these were people who, uh, you know, were ostensibly friends and clients of, of, of Adams. Um, and, and it doesn't look like the, the insurance company was in any way involved. Uh, Ethan spoke to the head of the insurance company who said these were his friends. It said nothing to do with us. Um, he still uh, was working there, but it just didn't have anything to do with us. And she, she reiterated the fact that he believed this. He, he was being scammed, he thought, or he thought it was real that he was going to get this inheritance from uh, his estranged father or something like that. Um, and so he really believed it. Uh, the restaurateur was told he would meet this lawyer, this mysterious lawyer from England. Lawyer never showed up. Um, and so the restaurateur was really starting to get worried and just saying, I just want my money back. Adams uh, allegedly said, or, or said, I think the civil case is, is settled. Um, listen, I'll pay you double. I'll pay you triple. Don't worry about mm -hmm. it. You know, you, when somebody starts offering you double and triple on your, your uh, loan, you got to think that something's going to happen. Uh, one of the most poignant uh, parts of this story, I think, in terms of what the restaurateur was going through, he said this really, really crushed him, ruined uh, uh, this portion of his life. And in any case, he had to get help for his restaurant work. The money really meant a lot for him. Um, but Adams was a regular customer and still walks by the restaurant every day, he says. So he sees them uh, uh, every day, which has got to be kind of a, uh, a needle in the, the side there. Um, criminal case still ongoing, uh, and we still have to see where that lands. So, mm -hmm. But I guess uh, one lesson to me is uh, beware of the scam. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those where if you, you get a, a note or a call and somebody says, I have money, it's easy money. Anything that looks e too easy is, probably uh, is, um, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe it's true, but uh, at this point, there's been nothing that seems to line up with it being true. Um, 
I chose this as kind of one of the big stories of the week because it's a big deal in Woods Hole, certainly. There's been work going on down there at the terminal for the uh, for the Steamship Authority. And uh, this week there was a meeting you attended where residents had a chance to weigh in on plans for the new terminal. Uh, this isn't happening tomorrow, but the work is ongoing. What was the meeting like? What was the reaction from, from folks who, who saw the plans? They were pretty upset. They thought that uh, the building itself, they compared it to looking like a ski lodge in Aspen rather than something that would sit in their quaint village. It's going to be made predominantly of stone and glass. They wanted to look at, you know, maybe consider cedar shingles. They said it totally blocked a view that's kind of one of the uh, trademarks of Woods Hole as you enter and you come across Crane Road Bridge, and you can see the harbor. This building will completely obliterate that view, uh, which was something. I think that was uh, one of the biggest points. They asked the architects if they could maybe turn the building, and um, even though the architects and um, the general manager were saying there was still some time for comment, they could send comments in. There were no comments were being recorded at the meeting, mm -hmm. which again was something that worked the residents that were there. Yeah. But uh, it looked like um, the architects had looked about at every iteration you could imagine out there. So this is pretty well uh, final. Kind of where they're headed. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. It's very classic Cape Cod. You have this um, uh, idea of, of Cape Cod buildings and the cedar shingles and, you know, the gray, it, it reminds me a lot of, of, uh, some of the, uh, newer buildings that have gone up in Nantucket and places like that where they're public buildings, but they really try and match the surrounding, uh, landscape in it. And the folks in Woods Hole, certainly, I mean, that area, interesting enough, there are, there are buildings in Woods Hole that are stone. And, and so it's not that far off. I can see how the architects might've been thinking this was, um, probably weren't thinking it was going to be thought of as an Aspen ski lodge, but we're thinking that it would be thought of some of those older buildings down there that are, that are stone. Um, but they, you, you said turning the building. They also said, you know, we'd be happy if you just lopped off the top of the building because yeah. that would give you that view back that, that you're talking about. Um, and interestingly, they also reacted to the fact that the people who are sitting in the terminal, which can hold 300, I think. Yeah, the lobby can hold 300 people at one time, which they thought was a little excessive. And yeah. they would have a view this from the lobby. Vista, because it's going to be all glass on that side. So their point was, why are you doing that? Those people are going to be getting on the ferry. They don't really need this view. They're going to have the view as they're as leaving they on the leave. ferry, which is very classic. As you leave Woods Hole, headed to the island, uh, island you, you have this view of Woods Hole and a view of Martha's Vineyard across the way. Um, so why would you need it as you're sitting there is, is the point of these neighbors. Woods Hole, obviously static, and, and this, this uh, location where you can see uh, the harbor, which is such a, a big part of Woods Hole um, uh, that they, they really didn't didn't like the idea. Anything that happens down in Woods Hole, you've reported on other things yes. that have happened down there. It always draws uh, attention, right? It, yes. It's a very active community. They are into preservation. Mm. It's beautiful, as you say. Many historic buildings. In fact, the architect had a whole collage of all the buildings there, which he was using to try to show that this particular building of stone and glass would fit in. 
but as one resident put it, the only building that looked remotely like it was an MBL building Mm. that was made of cement, and he called it the poster trial for ugly. They didn't like that MBL building. And and turning the building, they also said, would disrupt uh, traffic, basically. That was the big thing, that the buses, the trucks, all of the transportation going through there has to be able to circulate on the lot drop people at the terminal and that if they moved the building that just wasn't going to work and this is this is not a small project the the steamship authority uh is spending i think 60 million dollars yes um and uh this is going to take six years to to do the whole thing which isn't just the building what else are they doing out there well right now they're doing the waterfront uh part of it which um they're going to totally replace the slips that are out there um the entire thing is being completely overhauled. They're going to do a lot of site work and make it more flood resistant. That's one of the things to uh, make it more in compliant with the uh, the floodplain regulations that are out there today. Um, let's see, the building itself, the parking lots are going to be totally overhauled. Uh, they're putting in some maintenance buildings at the same time. And the new slips so that the large vessels can come and go a little easier. And yes. you could see, I mean, this was a, an area where when you went down there, I could, I could understand and you could understand how the Steamship Authority and probably people in Woods Hole, you know, saw it as a place that needed some, some work. Yeah. Um, it's just whenever you, it always does seem once you get those plans uh, and kind of you can visualize it and a rendering comes forward, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where people have it. And, and it's part of the process uh, with any big project. That's where people come forward and say, wait a second, this is not exactly what we expected. Um, usually it takes, you know, uh, certainly with a, with a public building, it takes uh, a couple of iterations before you arrive at kind of the, the final design. The Hyannis Fire Department uh, went through fire station, new, almost, almost uh, fully open at this point or going to be open soon, um, went through a bunch of different votes where people weren't happy with the cost and, and, and mm-hmm. the, the way that was going. That was coming directly from, you know, taxpayer money. This is a quasi-public agency, brings in a lot of money uh, via the uh, the fares and things like that. So I think they're a little less tied to public opinion in some respects, yeah. and they seem to, as you said, kind of be pretty set with this design. We'll see if that changes. We'll see if they, they hear enough about the kind of uh, blowback that they're hearing to, to change their minds at all. What's the the timeline for it again? Um, in terms well, it's of a they- six-year project, and they said the building won't start to be constructed for two to three years from now. So there is some room on that, but uh, they say the site work obviously is going to be geared to a particular design Design. location, et cetera. Once you start setting things up and and getting them, there's that momentum that builds. So we'll continue to follow that and see where it goes and certainly be uh, down there checking out the the work as it goes forward. Uh, Christine, you're working on and and just kind of briefly here, giving people a little bit of taste of what you're working on in terms of natural gas Big news in other parts of the state. Obviously, there were some major problems with natural gas, uh, I think, last month uh, uh, in other parts of the state and earlier this month. Um, and you're looking at it from a local uh, angle and, and what's happening here, what the, the impact of those problems are here, and some some work that's being done on some past problems. Uh, yes. Right now, National Grid, the latest was um, in Woburn, where they had uh, 300 gas services that had problems that were related to overpressurization, which is 
exactly the problem that had uh, been unearthed on the Cape back in 2014. And they are currently having to replace 18 miles of pipes through Middle and Lower Cape, and they're in the middle of that job. This current job, this current problem in Woburn may affect them because the State Department of Utilities has ordered them to call off all non-critical work mm. right across the board. So they're trying to determine if this falls into non-critical or critical. critical. I talked to National Grid yesterday, and we'll be talking to them again today, whether mm. that Woburn problem is going to affect what's happening here because they are quite a ways along down here, and they expect to wrap up maybe a little under a year from now. And just looking back, you did reporting on this at the time. It was a big deal at the time because what happened was they put a moratorium in place on people connecting new natural gas connections and for, you know, home builders, for real estate people, this was, this was a real problem um, because people do want to connect to natural gas. It's less expensive. Now, certainly now and in the past, people have raised concerns about the safety uh, around natural gas, but, um, but this, project was meant to alleviate that problem and and relieve the moratorium if it's delayed uh it's going to be some more time on in the cape before people are able to hook that new home up to to natural gas so yeah we'll see you're reporting on this will continue today and we'll hear more about that uh probably in tomorrow's paper uh, yes. so everybody can check that out at capecuttimes.com um thanks again for joining us thank you christine as always for being on the air very informative as always um tell your friends share the link Feel free to reach out to us on uh, with any story tips or ideas. All our emails are on capecodtimes.com. Uh, we're where news starts on Cape Cod. Until next week, have a good morning and good luck. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.